everybody. Welcome to The Rabbit Room. I'm Andrew Peterson. Almost everybody's got a good story about the early days in their career, so we thought it would be fun to sit down with some of The Rabbit Room writers and ask them about their very first paying gigs. Most of you know this next guy as Pete Peterson, the manager of The Rabbit Room. Uh, he takes care of all the orders. Chances are if you've gotten a Rabbit Room book or CD in the mail, he was the guy who lovingly uh, shipped it to you. He's also the guy who kind of keeps an eye on the website and uh, does a lot of the planning for Hutchmoot. Um, I know him as Sherman Peterson. Well, Sherm is what I grew up calling him. My parents called him Sherman. His friends in high school called him Don't Squeeze the Sherman. Uh, but in the military, they shortened uh, Peterson to Pete. And, uh, and if you're a fan of his novels, then you know him as A.S. Peterson. I've always known that Pete was an excellent writer. And I thought it would be fun to sit down and talk with him about the beginnings of his writing career, uh, some of the seeds that were planted along the way that led him to finally publishing his first books. I guess the first thing I was ever paid for having written, I mean, technically it would have been my book. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I get uh, somebody at somebody at a, a Christian Literary Journal uh, had written had read one of my posts on the Rabbit Room and thought it would fit great within their anthology and uh, asked if they could publish it and I said, "Sure, you can." And, uh, <laughs> Why, yes, you can. And, like I, it, I, it, I'm not even convinced that I should count that as a paying thing. Because it's the sort of thing where they pay you if they're able. <laughs> uh-huh. I think the agreement was they would pay me with like three free copies of the magazine if it was ever printed. <laughs> uh, so I, the, uh, I guess that's it. But uh, as far as speaking goes, I uh, got a call from uh, the uh, Battleground Academy down in Franklin, which is a private school. Just uh, several of the girls or, or kids in their in the library had read my book, The Fiddler's Gun, and uh, they invited me to come down and just talk about writing and the books. And uh, so I did, and it was pretty fantastic. It was a group of, like I had no idea what to expect. I kind of expected it was going to be a library full of kids who had no idea who I was or why I was there, and they just couldn't wait to get out. And it was actually really nice because it ended up being, there was probably 20 kids and it was two sessions. And in each of the sessions, there was there were four or five uh, kids that had read the book and loved it and had all kinds of questions about it. And uh, even beyond that, when I just started talking about, you know, the idea of writing and how, it, how you do it, the kids were completely interested, which blew my mind. Uh, I, I guess it's because I come, I used to work at a boys ranch where it was basically full of kids who didn't want to be in school. And so I had this kind of preconceived notion in my mind that all kids were like that, and they weren't interested in learning, didn't care what anybody had to say, and it was like fighting to get them to listen to you at all. So it was a real breath of fresh air to meet with a whole group of kids that just were hungry, and they were like sponges for information, and they they couldn't wait to hear what I had to say about things. And then even when it was over, they were coming up to me and, you know, asking just amazing questions like, uh, well, not, not even so much questions, but I remember a kid walked up to me and said that he was interested in being a writer and what wondered what he should be reading. You know, and I, I parroted back a few things like, you know, Dickens and 
uh, Moby Dick, and then he, this high school kid, he was in like tenth grade, said, "Oh, that's interesting," because uh, I'm really interested in the existentialists right now, and I'm reading a lot of Camus <laughs> and Kafka. And I just thought, okay, uh, I don't know what to say to you now, because <laughs> you're probably smarter than I am. Yeah, but uh, it was it was a great experience. Yeah, I had that same thing happen when I went and did my first school visits. Where you, it is, it's the silly idea that we're, like, you know, if you if you believe what you see on the news, we're a generation away from the world going to hell in a handbasket in some ways, and who knows? But I went into these these schools to talk to these kids, and was have every time been really encouraged by how smart they are how teachable they are how respectful they are you know yeah, yeah. it's like uh like anyway yeah i don't know what to make I mean, of that except they're insightful too like i uh i can't think of the exact example but i i usually end up asking questions about you know like what makes a character interesting and what makes story interesting and talking about conflict and all these kind of things and uh well, I guess no. The one the example I'm thinking of is is somebody asked, well, the teacher asked me, why is it important for us to re- to read fiction? And I just kind of turned that back around at the kids and tried to get their answer. And I said, so why do you guys think it's important to learn fiction? And this like you know kind of quiet, goofy kid in the back of the class raised his hand and said, uh, we learn we we have to read fiction to learn how to think like other people. <laughs> And like I couldn't have said that any better myself. It was kind of exactly, I think, why we need to write and read fiction. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, so my other question is: I was thinking about you in high school, uh, writing. Didn't you write some stories that were got, won some awards in high school, like the Fiction Award? Yeah, I don't even remember what that was. There was some kind of writing contest, and my English teacher, you know, urged me to write stories for it, so I did. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Like, I, one of them was about a gladiator. <laughs> it was about a gladiator, like, fighting and and being horrified at uh, at the blood on his hands and the blood money he had earned. <laughs> it was just terrible, terrible stuff that oddly passes for great... Uh, popular fiction in some circles and so do you still have those anywhere do you think <laughs> i hope not <laughs> oh man i bet mom has them somewhere. uh they, she might i don't know i don't She's remember always... what the other ones were about i remember one of them was about uh it was an allegory about the it must have been the 88 election because it was about but george bush the h bush herbert walker what is the older guy's hw name? i guess hw yeah. And uh, Michael Dukakis. <laughs> it was this allegory written in a fantasy world about the king was dying and uh, like King Ronald was dying. <laughs> and he didn't know who to leave the kingdom to. Would it be, would it be uh, Michael, the Duke of Akis? <laughs> or, or would it be this other guy, George? who was like a farmer and liked the common people, and so they called him George of the Bush. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Were you trying to be funny, or were you like really in earnest writing these? I have no these? idea. That I just, is awesome. I remember that. Well, I so still, yeah, yeah, I won like the creative writing award in high school, uh-huh. which I think just means I was the only kid that could put together complete sentences. <laughs> Hopefully none of your graduating class will hear that. Yeah, this interview. Uh, so the, but I, I was gonna say though, I remember because you and I were both gobbled up the same books. You know, like we were reading all these fantasy novels, and 
And then that went on to Stephen King books. You know, we were both reading all these Stephen King books. And I remember you writing uh, several short stories and letting me read them. I can still remember one of them. I can still actually picture in my mind. Is it the one about the book? Yeah, there's a kid and there's a book and there's like an angel of light and a big dragon that that he has to battle or something, right? Yeah. Anyway. It was very Lovecraftian, I think. Yeah. And then you went on from from there to graduating high school to instead of becoming a writer a produce manager and then a marine i think that's totally logical (laughs) (laughs) so did you entertain uh, like when you were in the marines i remember you writing a couple of pieces randomly poetry and some other things like that did you uh entertain any thoughts at that point of going on to becoming an author i think i always did and like as weird as this sounds, it was a, like one of my conscious decisions for having joined the Marine Corps was uh, to have great stories to tell. Because uh, I, I was, you know, I was just out of high school, and the Gulf War started uh, in 1991. And uh, like the first thing that popped into my my mind was, well, I've got to go join this because you know I might not to get. Where else am I going to get the chance to tell war stories? You know, and uh, as ridiculous as that is mm-hmm. in hindsight. Like, I was conscious even then that, like, if you don't go out and have a lot of interesting experiences, you're not going to have much interesting to write about. Hmm. So how do you write? So do you think that now? I do. I actually do. Like, uh, I just had this discussion with my girlfriend the other day where I'm trying to remember what happened. But, uh, like, the, the defining, the, the, the thing that defined the decision that I made was which story do I want to be able to tell in 10 years? And sometimes that that results in me doing something completely ridiculous. Uh, and other times it results in me, you know, doing something that is the morally right thing where, where I think, well, you know, do I want to be the guy who stood up for the right thing or do I want to be the guy who took the easy road out? Hmm. So, yeah, so, I think it really is an interesting way to think about life in general. So how do you reconcile that with... Uh, the kind of Wendell Berryan approach of staying put and uh, like his his ability to write so well about uh, this fictional community because he's a part of this this actual community. So. Yeah, well, Wendell Berry is clearly gifted at doing that, mm-hmm. and I that's just not. I mean, I I love Wendell Berry. I love reading his stuff, and I almost one hundred percent agree with him. But at the same time, I'm just not the guy that was made to to stay in the town like I, I just feel like I've always felt like I'm the kind of person that wants to go out and do the crazy thing mm-hmm. and uh, the thing that nobody else did even if it means that I'm ridiculous sometimes <laughs> <laughs> well you've pulled it off yeah <laughs> no. uh, I was going to say so why is it that you and I uh, both were so drawn to storytelling and writing and words and stuff like that what about the way we grew up led us down that path do you think the biggest factor I can come to is that our dad was a pastor and a pa- and, w- and a good really good pa- or I should say preacher. Doesn't we don't matter. we never called him a pastor. He was always a preacher. Uh, but he was he's a really good preacher in that uh, he understood the value of storytelling. So, you know, his sermons, you know, aren't all doctrinal and just teaching. He always found a way to pull in a, you know, some literary story or uh, a way to use a movie as an example or a TV show or a song. But I remember very clearly, you know, even as a young kid sitting in church and scribbling and drawing and doing anything else but listening, 
until the point when dad started telling a story about something and then I would sit up and I would listen and dad was really good at being dramatic in the way he told orally you know he knew where the dramatic pause was and he knew what the arc of a story looked like so that it landed just right and uh so I think you know for you know we went to church three times a week for 18 years basically I heard him preach three I times heard him week, yeah. heard him preach yeah three times a week for 18 years basically and so you kind of just begin to intuit the way that stories work mm-hmm. and not only the way they work but uh, how they mean something bigger ju- than just what uh, the, the plot is mm-hmm. you know I also remember the dad he always preached from a manuscript because he was very particular about the way he said things yeah the shape of yeah the, of his sermon so he's got manuscripts for all these sermons so so he's a he's a writer in that sense you know right like he cared right. a lot about the specific words and you know his office was just loaded with books yeah and he always. read constantly too yeah. which like even though you don't really care about that when you're a kid you recognize the value of it later like yeah. I even this is a horrible story to tell <laughs> but i remember uh when we would go on vacations or just drive to the next town Dad would read while he drove. Yeah, I remember, you remember that. that? Yeah. yeah, he would have the book propped on the steering wheel, and Mom would badger him, "Stop doing that stuff!" Nah. Oh, it's okay, it's okay, <laughs> you know. And he would look down and read a sentence and uh-huh. look up and make sure he was still on the road. I remember him doing that. Too. And that didn't bother me at all. Peterson. This has been episode 30 of the Rabbit Room Podcast. want to wish all the dads out there a happy Father's Day. And that goes for me and Pete's dad, too. Thanks so much for loving us well and giving us good stories to tell. Special thanks to Ben Shy for the use of the studio, Pete Peterson for all your work in the Rabbit Room, Casey Weber for engineering this thing, and to all of the listeners out there for uh, being such loyal followers of the Rabbit Room. Uh, we couldn't do this without your support, so thanks. Thanks.